this is Kristen. And this is Ashley. And this is a thousand miles of true crime. Ashley, uh, one of our favorite holidays is right around the corner. Um, are you excited about Halloween? Of course. Halloween is like my, it, it is one of my favorite seasons. I absolutely love the holiday. I do too. I also love that it like leads into Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that. And uh, it's just my favorite time of the year. It goes by so fast. I feel like October is like gone in an instant. Always. I like just can't get all the Halloween activities in no matter how hard I try. I agree. So I wanted to kind of lead into what we're going to be talking about. But first, I wanted to kind of reminisce on what Halloween was like when we were kids. Um, so I just remember being a teenager and going trick-or-treating late, um, not having a cell phone, not having any type of tracking device for my parents to know where I'm at or anything like that. And I, I feel like I don't even think I had like a watch to know, hey, it's time to go home. And I don't know, did you have the same experience for you? Like when you would go out trick-or-treating? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would go out with all my friends and yeah, I feel like no one was really checking in on us like that. And it's always a good time. And so like, would, your, would you be like going with any adults at all when you would trick-or-treat as a teenager or you guys were just on your own? You could just go off on your own? I'm trying to think, I feel like by the time we were teenagers, we had stopped trick-or-treating and I would always go with my friends and my godmother loves Halloween, like as much as I do. So she would often go, like, I think she would go with us, but it was more so she could wear her costume and stuff and she was having a good time. So, um, so yeah, I guess I did have an adult with me for a while, for a long time while I was trick-or-treating. Well, I remember that like my parents, they really trusted my friend's parents and my friends, I guess, because th there was no like boundaries. There was no like, oh, you can't go here. Like we were going to other neighborhoods. We went to a cemetery one year and like we're walking through the cemetery like by ourselves. And I don't even think our friend's parents knew, but I I, I do remember that vividly. Um, we'd also know all the houses that were giving out full-size candy. Um, and I just remember coming home and just dumping it all out and my parents would check it. And I, I guess it never dawned on me why that was an actual thing. Like, why can't I just go ahead and eat my candy? Um, and now that obviously I'm an adult, I get it. You know, <laughs> um, I can say that for my youngest i've replaced all of his halloween candy like he would come home after trick-or-treating and i would just be like all right all right yeah give me your bag i'm gonna check it and then i would just like put whatever we purchased in the bag in the bag just because like you just never I know do. i always remember my parents saying like we have to check your candy for razor blades <laughs> and there's actually a reason for that so that's what this episode is going to be about, like checking through your kid's candy um, to make sure if it wasn't tampered with. This didn't just kind of just all of a sudden become a thought. Um, there's been a lot of urban legends around razor blades um, being in your candy um, or people poisoning your candy. Um, and so I also think it kind of ties into 
to something else that happened uh, in the mid 80s. Do you remember the Tylenol murders? Of course. Like, yeah, I'm in Chicago, so of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember it, but I know of it. Yeah. So, I mean, that took the lives of seven people and that's still unsolved. Like they never solved who actually did that. So that is scary to think about. But Halloween apparently brings out the real sin sinister people that maybe want to hurt people and kind of hide behind the guise of it's Halloween and they're not going to be able to trace it back to me. So, um, so who we're going to be talking about today is who's considered the man who killed Halloween, also known as the Candyman. And his name is Ronald O'Brien. He essentially proved that nightmares can become a reality. So Ronald uh, was actually from Houston, Texas. He was born October the 19th, uh, 1944. And from all accounts of his friends and acquaintances um, prior to the actual incident of him ruining Halloween, um, friends, uh, acquaintances, they all said he was like a normal guy very normal. He was a deacon at his church. He did a lot of volunteering within the church. So, you know, I mean, I would say like, you, my opinion of it is you can't trust anybody. It doesn't matter like how they assume on the outside. You just never know. And so all these people are like, he was a really upstanding guy, a great um, person. His pastor said that he was an upstanding guy. He was on uh, the PTA at his kid's school. Um, he had friends that, I guess, trusted him and thought that he was just an incredibly loving father. His wife, Deneen, um, I can't recall when they actually got married. I don't think that that was public. Um, but they had two kids together and their names were Timothy and Elizabeth. And both of these kids apparently, as, as how their friends recall it, these kids were the apple of Ronald's eye and just completely normal family. But as we know, every family's got their secrets and I'm gonna tell you what Ronald's secrets are. Um, he was not actually who everyone thought he was. So, I feel like that what, happens so often, right? Like when they're going above and beyond to be like, I'm a PTO dad and I'm a deacon in the church. And then you find out all of their, like all of their dirty secrets. Yeah. I, I think eventually, no matter what, this was all going to come out. Um, so what people didn't know really, I guess, about Ronald was from 1964 to 1974, this guy held 21 jobs. 21 jobs in 10 years. That is ridiculous. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I was going to th make a Gen Z joke, but. <laughs> that's well, I no, you're right. OK, so I, I get what you're saying, because Gen Zers do kind of job hop. Right. Is that what you're going to like? Imply? Yeah, like they're kind of they're known for that. of like really not like they, they won't take a bad workplace. They'll just leave and stuff. But especially back then, that's kind of unheard of. You know, you'd want to be at a job for at least a year minimum. Yeah, I would say even like my mom, my parents, they were like considered lifers. My mom worked at ComEd, 
like from you, you know the time that she was just coming uh into her career in her early 20s all the way until she retired and i feel like that is like the old school mentality of you you get a job and you keep that job you hold on to that job but ronald was not following that same path um these 21 jobs that he had over the course of these 10 years he was terminated from because he was either doing something fraudulent or like stealing so i i would say he didn't have the greatest work ethic and he wasn't the most honorable or trustworthy person even though all of these other people that were associated with him said the opposite you know so i guess he showed a different uh color when he was working um he also was in a lot of debt like a ridiculous amount um over a hundred thousand dollars in debt him and his wife Deneen, which today would be the equivalent of just over six hundred thousand dollars and i'm assuming you don't mean like mortgage and car payment do you like this is just like credit yeah. card debt like this is loans that they were taking out to i guess live up to I guess, an image that they were trying to presume that they really couldn't afford, you know. Um, they, they just were living outside of their means, essentially. And um, that part of their lives actually started to crumble um, because they couldn't fake it anymore. Like, it's like, you owe this guy, you owe this guy, you owe this bank, your car is about to get repossessed. They actually uh, lost their house and had to move into an apartment because they just couldn't afford it anymore. Um, so they were in a very troubling financial state. And this is in 1974. At this time, Ronald was actually working as an optician at Texas State Optical, but he was actually on the verge of being fired from there for stealing. So, um, the pattern was just continuing and I, I think he was at like a desperate time being in such a financial um I guess situation he was just like desperate so I don't know the amounts that he was stealing but this was his running track record and I do know that being financially unstable will make people do things no one would really think that they would do um, it's a lot of pressure, and I don't want to say that Deneen wasn't really feeling that pressure, but I feel like the the majority of it was on Ronald. And so Ronald started thinking of, I guess, sinister alternatives on how to get out of this financial nightmare that his family was in. And he made the suggestion to his wife, Deneen, you know, let's take out life insurance policies on Timothy and Elizabeth. Now, mind you, this is someone that is barely earning anything, like barely able to pay the rent. They're not paying their car note. Um, but like life insurance is a necessity at this point, even though we can barely afford to, to eat. Um, now, do you know, and maybe you don't know this, like does she know what's going on financially and like does she have a real good view of how bad things are because I know I guess I don't know but from like what I see on tv sometimes you know I, I maybe women weren't kept into the loop as much so I think that's 
I think that's actually a great question and it's really unclear. Now granted, I don't want to give you any spoilers, but Deneen had no uh, like association with anything that Ronald did in the regard to the crime itself. Um, whether or not she was familiar with the situation that they were in, I would think she would have to have some type of inclination, maybe. But again, this being 1974, I feel like women, like you said, were taking kind of a backseat and the, the men had more of the, the control over the finances. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if she wasn't aware of how bad they were financially. Um, so I, about the life insurance, I don't want like it to seem like, oh, someone getting life insurance for their family should be something that makes you, you know, be skeptical or like raise your eyebrows. Um, but Ronald having, I guess, the track record that he had of like doing fraudulent activity and stealing, um, for him, I feel like it's raised some red flags and, um, Ronald was also going to work at this time at the Texas uh, State Optical and kind of bragging to his soon-to-be ex-co-workers about how his financial situation was about to change. And so people are like, what do you mean? Like, how? Uh, like, what master plan have you come out, come up with? Um, and it just, it made some people kind of look at him funny. Ronald ended up taking out policies for $10,000 for each of his kids. Um, and so at this time, Timothy is eight, Elizabeth is five. Um, and so Deneen was aware of this first initial policy, um, but they could barely afford that, okay? And then Ronald decided he was gonna take out two more policies for another $20,000 each. Um, he was trying to do even more than that, but the insurance companies were like, like, you can't even afford, like, it, it doesn't make sense. You can't afford to, to pay the premiums or whatever. Um, and so these other policies that he did successfully take out, his wife, Deneen, had no clue. Like, she was not aware at all. And then, too, I guess the insurance companies were also wondering... Like, what is the urgency to take out this many policies on your kids? Um, you, you can barely afford your day-to-day -day expenses. And at this time, he's earning about $150 per week at the Texas State Op Optical. Um, and now life insurance is like this big necessity. So he did it anyways. The life insurance policies are in place uh, for Timothy and Elizabeth. Um, and then that's all set, right? They're paying for that. Ron, uh, Ronald hasn't been fired yet. Um, I want to talk about some other person that Ronald met in this like 10 year job hopping roller coaster that he was on. Um, he meets a, a chemist named Bobby Terry and he begins to like talk to Bobby about potassium cyanide. So this is all right around 1974, but he met this Bobby guy within that 10 year period. And I don't know how the subject comes up because if I'm Bobby and you're, you're asking about cyanide, um, 
which what what is the purpose for just an average person to have possession of that? Um, Bobby is is realizing that Ronald has a real interest in cyanide and it's I guess stated that Ronald was a student or something taking a chemistry course and just that's what piqued his interest in cyanide but I don't know if that's an actual factual thing. Um, so they're talking about the different varieties of cyanide. Um, Ronald is asking Bobby about what amount is considered a fatal dose and yeah and he's also asking where he could get some to purchase. I was just gonna ask that like can you just purchase that? I, I talk about that a little bit more but Bobby actually tells him where he can get it and I, I do like that's like a little bit further down but I do feel like you're telling someone that's asking you about a, a highly dangerous chemical. Um, like, did you ask them what do they need it for before right. telling them where they can get it? Um, so Ronald is told this chemical outlet store in Houston, and this is like a real thing. I don't, obviously, it's probably not anymore. And I would certainly, like you said, hope that you need some type of license or something to even get access into the into the outlet store, right? The store is called Curtin Matheson Scientific. And um, Ronald is, again, inquiring on how to purchase it. And he learns from going and visiting the store that you can only buy it by the pound. And it's like five pounds. Like you can buy a five pound container of potassium cyanide. And I would say that would be a really huge red flag. Purchasing any amount is going to be a red flag. But five pounds, like, what are you using it for? Right. Even more ballsy, um, once Ronald realizes that he can only buy it in this five-pound quantity, um, he starts asking the employees at the outlet store, well, where can I get a smaller amount? <laughs> like, can you be more obvious um, so he apparently leaves this, uh, outlet store without purchasing any cyanide. Um, and this, like I said, is all before Halloween in 1974. So there's no way for us to know for sure because he didn't purchase it, but he was inquiring about it. He was asking about it, but they have no proof of him actually purchasing it from like a store directly. So maybe he convinced an employee to give him a small amount. I don't know. But now I'll get to what actually happened on Halloween night, 1974 in Texas. The plan is that Ronald and his family, Deneen, Timothy, and Elizabeth, are supposed to go to their friend who lives in a, like a subdivision, like in a house, um, the Bates family. And they're supposed to have dinner and then the dads are going to take the kids out trick-or-treating. So they they do that. The, the families eat dinner together. Um, and for whatever reason, it was noted that Ronald was like extremely excited about Halloween. Like really just unusually excited because it's not um, a holiday that he normally would be excited for. But this particular night, they just noticed he was like amped up. Like, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's get out there. Um so, and I do want to add here, like, my own, like, I guess, 
kind of spooky feeling that I got as I was researching. It's at this point in my research, I was like, I had watched Halloween Ends. Uh, it had just come out. And as I'm thinking of Halloween night and this guy's about to do this crazy thing, all I could hear was the music, the Halloween music. You know what music <laughs> I'm talking about? Yes, of course. Um, and so I was trying to tune it out because I was upstairs and I was like scared. Like I was like <laughs> turning on all the lights. Um, I was here by myself. So I was I was scared. Um, so the dads hit the neighborhood with all the kiddos and this Halloween night in Texas, it actually rained. Um, so the the trick-or-treaters, they weren't even out long. It it was like, I guess they hit like two streets or something like that um, in their subdivision. So Ronald and the Bates father, his name was Jimmy. Their, I guess, arrangement was that Jimmy was going to stay on the sidewalk and Ronald was gonna go up to each house with the kids and like make sure that the people opened the door and gave them candy or whatever. And then the kids would run to the next house. Like that was like their arrangement. Um, as they were stopping by houses, they came upon a house that was really dark. There were no lights on. And I don't know if your neighborhood does this, but our neighborhood rule is that if you intend on passing out candy to leave like your porch light on or like your outside light on, um, so if your light's off, kids just know to skip your house. They know you're not going to be passing out candy. Does your neighborhood do that? Yeah. I thought that was like an unwritten rule. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I guess not in 1974 <laughs> because they go up to this dark house. Um, it appears like no one's there, no lights are on or anything. And as the kids are leaving this house to run to the next house. They said nobody answered the door. Um, Jimmy actually, Jimmy Bates uh, testified that Ronald stood by this house for like maybe 30 extra seconds um, before he met him back at the sidewalk. And when he came to the sidewalk to meet Jimmy, he screamed out that like the rich neighbors gave out uh, expensive candy full-size pixie sticks and is like like look at what I got look at what I got now this is at that dark house that he's the kid said nobody answered the door but all of a sudden Ronald's got these pixie sticks in his hand Jimmy actually said he never even saw anybody open the door like but I mean, again, like you're you're looking at your kids as they're running to the next house. You know, you maybe not be paying attention to what this other adult is doing. Like you're not thinking he's going to be doing something sinister. Yeah, um, you just had him over for dinner and stuff. He's not a stranger. You're not. And they're friends. That he is, yeah. So not long after they stopped at this dark house, it started to rain again. And so they like head back to the Bates house. And then um, the O'Briens just headed home to their apartment. So they get home and Ronald is like telling Elizabeth and Timothy, hey, you guys are each allowed one piece of candy before you go to bed. Deneen, she recalls that Ronald didn't really say pick which candy you want. She almost like encouraged them to select these giant pixie sticks that the rich neighbors that didn't answer the door gave out. Um, so 
have you've had a, like those old school giant pixie sticks before, right? So it's in, it's, it's in like, like a, a big straw almost looking thing, right? Yeah, and they're like plastic, right? And yeah. do you remember like how you would have to open them? Mm, I no. I feel like I'd always cut the top off. How do you, how would you open them? So they are heat sealed, so it's plastic. So you can't even like rip it off with your teeth. Like you would need actual scissors. It's like that really thick, plasticky, waxy um, material. So this particular pixie stick that Timothy actually, you know, chose because of his dad encouraging him to, it was not heat sealed. It was sealed with a staple. With a staple? Yeah. Not suspicious um, at all. Exactly. And knowing that pixie sticks are usually heat sealed, um, eight-year-old Timothy is trying to open this. Like, why can't I open it? Right. And he asks his dad, can you, can you help me open my pixie stick? So his dad like goes like this to like loosen up the powder or the dust inside there. And I guess he cut it off. He cut the staple off. So that means he visibly saw that this was not, like both ends were not stapled. There's one end that's stapled. So that would be a clear indication that, did somebody tamper with this? Um, so he opens it. Elizabeth ends up choosing some other piece of candy to eat. And um, Timothy goes ahead and sprinkles a dusting of the powder into his mouth. And immediately he tells his dad, like, this, this tastes bad. Like, this does not taste right. Um, Ronald gives his son Timothy Kool-Aid to, like, wash it down and, like, get the bad taste out of his mouth. And Timothy immediately starts to get, like, violently ill. Like, immediately. He's throwing up, he's convulsing, and um, Ronald is, is freaking out. So he calls for an ambulance, and Timothy is rushed to the hospital. Um, he literally died within an hour of consuming this pixie stick. And it sounds like it was painful. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what amount was in it, but... Um, it, it was like instantaneous that it had a, he had a reaction. I don't know how it works. Um, I think of like Jim Jones and the the massacre of all those people. Um, but I don't know, like, I don't know, is it a painful death? Um, but he was throwing up, convulsing, and then he died. So Ronald is visibly frantic. He's like freaking out. Um, the hospital staff is too because... They're like, well, why? what's wrong with this kid? Like, what happened to him? And Ronald, you know, has shared that he ate a pixie stick and that after eating that, he got just violently ill. So now the hospital, the police, the ambulance, they're all like, wait a second. Let's test this kid and see, like, what was in his stomach. And it turns out they identified that there was potassium cyanide in his stomach and that's what killed him. So they're now tying it all together that they got this while trick-or-treating. 
um, now they're in fear that who else has may have these pixie sticks that are contaminated with potassium cyanide. Um, so I'm like, sure they're trying to figure out like, do we tell everybody to throw all their candy away? Like how much panic are we gonna cause right now? Oh, there was panic. And I learned something in my research too. So much panics uh, that I'd say as as late as 2015, people can take their candy to hospitals to have it examined for for anything. And I, really? I didn't know. I did not I know, didn't that. know that. I did not know that. Do they do so, x-rays? Do do? I, don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know if they're like, I don't know. But as recent or as late as 2015, you could do that. You could take your candy to the hospital and have it examined. Um, but yeah, like you said, panic ensued. Uh, parents are freaking out there. They don't even want to throw the candy away. Like at that point, I'm like, forget taking it to the hospital to have it examined. I'm just throw it away, right? It's candy. Right. <laughs> um, but now because this news of uh, little Timothy dying from eating something that was thought to be as innocent as Halloween candy, like all the parents are like, no one's safe. Um, so an investigation, you know, starts. The police are looking into not Ronald at the time. They're like, this is just some crazy person that's done this, not this poor kid's, you know, father um so they start asking ronald like well where did you get these pixie sticks from and at first ronald was kind of like i don't remember i you know i can't recall and he ends up coming out and saying i think it was that dark house that we went to and the the address was 4112 donrail in the bates neighborhood and that was the house that was dark that the, no one opened the door for the kids, but they opened it for Ronald. And so the police are like, well, who gave you the pixie sticks? Did you see their face? He said he couldn't remember if it was a man or a woman, um, that they just passed it out to him. Um, and I mean, how convenient is that? Like, of course, it's going to be the dark house that nobody saw anybody. No other kids had candy from. Um so all this ruckus, parents are freaking out. Um, this little boy has died. Folks are throwing away their candy or having it examined. And the police are able to actually identify five giant pixie sticks by like, like putting it out in the media and all of that. Like, hey, go through your candy. Do you have anything that looks like this? And so they were able to identify five giant pixie sticks. And guess what? No one in this neighborhood where they were at was passing out pixie sticks, was passing out giant pixie sticks. This house that apparently was dark and Ronald says he got these pixie sticks from, the, the homeowners, uh, Melvin, the Melvin family, Courtney Melvin was at work. So he wasn't even there. He had an alibi. And his wife was like, I wasn't even giving out this type of candy, but I ran out of candy before this family would have even come to my house. So my lights were off. I wasn't passing anything out because I had run out. Um, so out of these five pixie sticks, 
two of, um, I'm sorry, Ronald's kids had them. So his daughter, Elizabeth, had one. Um, Timothy obviously had one. The Bates uh, kids had two. And then apparently Ronald had given one to this little boy that he like, that went to his church. And all five had fatal doses of potassium cyanide in them. Damn, so he was hoping that they'd all take it and it would look less suspicious that it was just his son. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fortunately, none of the other kids had eaten any of this candy, but when they found uh, one of the pixie sticks, it was actually in one of the boys from his church. Like he was holding onto it in bed. Like his parents were like, oh my gosh, you know, um, this guy gave him a pixie stick and he was literally sleeping with it in his, in his hand. So he probably tried to open it too and then realized he couldn't. I mean, can you imagine like that would be like the worst nightmare um and i know that like it was a close call but like what a nightmare for that that kid's poor parents um so now the police are like something is fishy um there's only five only ronald has seemed to have like possession of them and none of the neighbors um in the bates neighborhood had given out this type of candy that dark house, they have an alibi. They have, you know, no valid way of proving that they were passing out um, pixie sticks. So it's like, they're out. So the insurance company catches wind because this is all over the media. And they actually call the police and give them a tip. And they say, hey, just wanted to let you know that Ronald has taken out um, a lot of money, life insurance policies, um, on his children. And that's when the police started to look at Ronald a lot more suspiciously. Um, they identified this guy's got a reasonable, uh, he's in so much debt. Like, that's enough reason by itself. He owes a lot of people a lot of money. Um, he doesn't have a great work history or track record he's not really considered the most trustworthy person um his car is about to be repossessed and he's clearly taken out some money uh, some policies for his kids so that was enough for them to say we're gonna go ahead and arrest ronald so on november 5th so just not long after halloween 1974 is when ronald is arrested and his wife Denine. You know, she immediately claims I had nothing to do with this at all, at all. She was like grieving um, for the loss of her son and then like realizing too that her daughter could have also consumed this. So she she's like, I'm done. I'm done. Um, I had no idea about the life insurance policies, the extra ones that he had taken out. And she was also noticing like, Ronald was like almost excited about collecting before he was arrested. Like he was like, this is what we're going to do with the money. You know, we're just going to take a vacation. It's like, how can you even be thinking about taking a vacation and your son just died? Right. Uh, Deneen actually, she also never, ever collected on the life insurance policy. 
So even no, after, yeah, she was, it wasn't that she couldn't get it because she could have, but she just never collected on it because she considered it as blood money. And she was just like, no. Um, and so Ronald, you know, is proclaiming his innocence all the while. You know, he's never wavering. He's saying, I could never do this. Other people that know him, they're saying he could never do this. But there is a lot of evidence because as I stated before, what did I say? Ronald was taking out these life insurance policies. He had a ton of debt that he was fighting. And what do you think is the biggest piece of evidence that they had against him? I mean, is it something you haven't said? Because there you know, there's a lot of stuff you've mentioned here. <laughs> it was the cyanide conversations. Like, dude, yeah, you're going to stores where they actually have it. And... You're asking other people about it and you're telling other people that you're about to come into some money and that your financial woes are about to like vanish. So. And you're too cheap to even buy the five pound like container of it. <laughs> I don't even know if it was that it was cheap, but he's probably thinking like, what am I going to do with five pounds of cyanide? Yeah, I, he seems like the type that would really be concerned with exposing of that properly, right? Like, <laughs> he didn't think it through. And I'm not saying, like, oh, that's a great idea, but like, he just, he's an idiot. Um, well, and it's, but wait, really quickly, it sounds like he thought like he had just pulled off a master plan here, right? Like, he's giddy over the fact that he's about to get this payout. And it's so obvious that he's about to get caught and he just doesn't even see that. He thought he had it all figured out, Ashley. Like he was convinced that th this was, he could hide behind Halloween. And like no one would notice. Everyone would just assume this was some random trick or treat candy. Yeah. Um, so all of that evidence that was, that they had against him, there were still people that, like could not believe that he would do something like this. They're like, there's no way this guy, he was a great father. His kids were the apple of his eye. But then there's other people that can say the complete opposite. So it didn't matter. The evidence was there. Um, too many people that Ronald had talked to about the cyanide with, too many witnesses. Um, so Ronald was actually convicted on June 3rd of 1975. And Obviously, his case garnered so much media attention because it just was related to Halloween and the urban legend thing. And it really happened. Um, and people just, I guess, really couldn't believe that someone could do something like that to their own child, regardless of the situation that they were in. Um, so he was convicted and sentenced to death by lethal injection and... Um, it's around this time that in the state of Texas, lethal injection was being, I guess, introduced as a humane way to execute someone versus the electric chair. Um, so he had actually a few different dates set for execution, but they were stayed because of appeals or because they were saying it was inhumane. Um, one of his, his first date that was set for execution was August the 8th of 1980 and then one judge set another execution date like almost to like make an example out of him 
on October the 31st of 1982, which would have been the eighth anniversary of Timothy's death. But that got stayed too. So he was finally executed by lethal injection on March the 31st of 1984. But all the while, this guy was still claiming that he did not do this. He never, ever came forward and admitted to what seems very obvious. Um, he proclaimed his innocence until he died. So my question to you is, do you think he actually did it? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think he did it. I think he realized how big of a monster he would sound like if he did confess to it. This whole damn son. But you're in prison already. Like, just come forward with it, right? I don't know. It's, like, you gotta know, even in prison, you look like a like scum, right? Yeah, no, that was part of it, too. Like, he was kind of targeted because of being a child murderer, basically. Um, so he was scared in prison. But I just... That's it, good. It, <laughs> It just blew my mind that he could go to his death and not come forward and say, like, even like right before they they inject you with the needle. Why not just say, I did it, guys. No I need get that. to like a deathbed confession. Yeah, I, I don't I, I don't get why he didn't do it. Um, so Deneen, she moved on with her life. Um, Elizabeth. They, I guess, Elizabeth, his daughter, she was kind of, like, torn and, like, do I see my dad before they execute him? You know, like, she, I think, was kind of, like, on the fence because she saw this man as her father um, for more of her life than she saw him as a killer. You know what I'm saying? For killing her brother. Um, yeah. But her her mom didn't allow it. Her mom was like, no, you're not going to see him before he's executed. Um, and, you know, she moved on with her life. She remarried and... Her uh, new husband adopted Elizabeth, their daughter. But, yeah, so that's the story of the man that killed Halloween. Ah, oh, that's crazy. I didn't know all the details, but that's, I, I, I think I didn't realize how planned out it all was. Mm-hmm. So. That's so, that's horrible. I think the worst, for me at least, too, I, there's so many bad angles here. But it's that whole idea of like, he's excited. He's like, it's Halloween. It's going to happen. I'm going to get a, like my payout. And it sounds like he was in so much debt. It, he was killing his son and it wasn't even going to get him out of debt. Like, it was nowhere near get him out of debt. Yeah. So you did all of this. You weren't even going to get out of debt. And that's like how little your son's life meant to you. Well, I'm sure there. I'm sure there was other speculation, too, because Deneen said he tried to get life insurance on her as well. And so she was almost making the assumption, like, was I going to be the real target victim? You know, like, could he have possibly poisoned me? Um, who knows? Like, I don't know what the... the I mean, if you're willing to kill your son, you'll absolutely kill your kill wife, him. right? Like... Mm. <laughs> That's so messed up, though. That's so messed up. So for our listeners, if uh, check your kid's candy or just throw it away and replace it like I do. <laughs> so that well, thank concludes. you, Kristen. <laughs> this really put me in the Halloween spirit because it's a weird 
weird way to get there, but at least we know some of the legends now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you guys have a safe, a safe and enjoyable Halloween. Bye, everyone. Bye.